Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The race is on and it's going to be on again for Fernando Alonso in F1 next year with confirmation that he'll drive for Renault. Attempt to recapture those past glories when he won those two world championships that he's somehow failed to add to in the intervening years. I'm Ed Straw and joining me for this special edition of the Race F1 Podcast Extra is Mark Hughes. Mark, you're still camped out in Austria in the uh, in the heat, the excessive heat by the uh, by the sounds of it, but at least, at least you've had this news to keep you busy. Yeah, oh yes, yeah. Delighted to uh, to have to churn out loads more words in between these uh, three Grand Prix and three weekends. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's great news. Um, I think it is anyway. Uh, uh, um, it's it, it's something that seems to have split a lot of fans. Um, quite a divisive character as always. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm quite excited by it, and I've been waiting for it. I I I wasn't surprised by it. Um, it's just. For me, it was a case of when it was going to be um, made official. Um, but yeah, uh, great, great stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's it's not quite the right team for him, really, but it's the only team that's available of that level. So you know, if he wants to get back into it, he's got to do it. So that's why it makes sense from that uh, perspective. But that point you make about him being divisive, let's just start there in general terms. I, I, I almost feel like. Alonso has become this pantomime figure, hasn't he? Which I think is a little bit, um, a little bit unfair, really, because he's a, you know, he's a high quality driver. Yes, he's had his problems. Yes, he hasn't always made the perfect decisions and conducted himself in the perfect way. But he's an outstanding driver. He does incredible things behind the wheel, and and that's what really, really matters, isn't it? We've got a great driver back in Formula One. What's not to like? Yeah, exactly. He's the pantomime villain. I think that's probably the uh, the, the the best way of describing him, as far as the, um, the the fan base is concerned. And some love him and, and some hate him. People have this picture of him as some aggressive uh, character that's uh, going around upsetting everybody and stomping his feet. He's not at all like that. Um, he'll just occasionally say things which are um, difficult for the. Uh, when it was at McLaren, uh, it was Honda, wasn't it? The the the, the, the famous, infamous uh, GP2 engine comment um, that you know he could make life easier for himself if if he didn't do that. But in, in if you talk to the people he's actually working with, the engineers and the people around it, the, 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 they they think he's fantastic. It's not. He's not divisive in the sense that he creates a, a horrible atmosphere in the garage or anything like that. It, it, his his um, level of performance that he brings sort of puts attention in. I guess um, that you know the the rest of the team needs feels it needs to measure up. And uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's um, especially if you're an ambitious team making progress on the way up, which is how Renault sees itself. So that, I think it, it dovetails quite nicely. It was probably the most realistic, the only realistic place um, left from the go. But by the same token, 
I think he's by far the best uh, choice of th- those who are available on the market that Renault could have taken to replace Ricciardo. I don't think they're either either side's first choice, should we say. Renault ideally would like a Hamilton or a Verstappen. Of course, it can't have that. Alonso would love to be in a Mercedes or a Red Bull, but that's not an option. But this is the, the kind of best available marriage that's available for, for the two of them. And I think, yeah, the whole... Alonso does have a specific way he likes to do things. You could probably say he could perhaps be a little bit more uh, malleable in the way he works with people. But th- these are, like you say, it's not like he just wreaks havoc the second he walks through the door or anything. He's a very, very good driver with a very clear objective. And I, and I think the interesting thing is there's no question he can still do it. This is very different. That The obvious comparison is the Michael Schumacher comeback, isn't it? Which didn't go as, as hoped, although I'd argue his performance level was better than people give it credit for. But Alonso's been racing. He's been racing at a very high level and succeeding, racing for Toyota on the Daytona 24 Hours as well in uh, another program. So he's sharp, he's determined, he's focused. He's not had three years not really competing as Schumacher did. So he is still current in that regard. Yeah, age is, is against him. Not even Alonso can uh, can completely disregard the effects of age. But th- there's no reason why he can't do what he's always done. No, I agree. And I think um, in terms of the uh, physiological effects on lap speed, I think, are um, of age on lap speed, I, I, I think, are uh, generally um, overstated at, at this sort of age, anyway. Um, I think it's more to do with desire and motivation. You, 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 the, you don't have many case studies to, to base it on because drivers tend to retire before they get to this age but not usually because they've got slow usually because they felt they've achieved they've either achieved what they want to achieve the level of success or they've not quite cut it and the the system's rejected them so there's very few actually get to 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 stay to choose to stay at this age um and i think there are enough case studies through the years where you can say, well, if, if the guy's committed and motivated enough and has continued to compete, hasn't sort of taken time out and then not competed, then the, the speed stays for a, quite a long time beyond 40. Although there is some deterioration at that age, it's trivial at that stage, ultimately. It's it's just not a thing that's that's going to make you 10% slower or anything it's uh, it, it can easily be counterbalanced by experience and yeah that determination and the one thing you can't doubt about Fernando Alonso is how determined he is to win that third world championship make no mistake that's why he's come back and he I believe he'll see Renault as a team that perhaps could make it happen they could come through but he'll also see it as a chance to kind of refresh his reputation and say look I can still do it I'm relevant I'm up to date I can still do the job so if Renault doesn't work he at least still kind of refreshes his possible value as a spare top line driver to, to a top team which which may be a bit of a long shot but it, it still keeps that door open doesn't it to winning that third world title yeah and I think realistically um, is he going to win win another world title I, I don't believe he, he will I think um, in the time scale that he has left uh, I don't think Renault is going to be at the level that it going to need it to. But I think they will every chance of getting to the level where they can um, be real factors from race to race. 
uh, without maybe putting a campaign together to win a title, but they, they're definitely going to... I uh, can't see any reason why they wouldn't be factors and an exciting addition to the field. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's it, it's still unlikely, but it, it's it's unlikely rather than no chance at all. And I guess that's the uh, that's the, the real key. And you know, for for Renault, they will get a driver who will haul that car around and really drag the lap time out of it. We did, for example, we saw the value of that at the weekend. Esteban Ocon was a bit undercooked. So I don't think he's quite shaken the rust off yet. We know how good he is, but Daniel Ricciardo there were moments when he pulled some really good performance out, out of the Renault uh, in Austria. And that there is a value to having a driver who can who can do that. It sounds like stating the obvious, but, you know, if you've got a driver, you can jump, you can put in the car and you know he will extract something approaching the best out of it, not only over a single lap, but over race stints. We know how relentless he is. Then that has huge value because it can add up to actually a hell of a lot of performance in terms of your results over a season. Yeah, that's right, he will. Um, you'll, you'll be able to benchmark where you're at and also, I think you will also be able to benchmark where, where Alonso's at. Not, not that I think there's any question about that, but the the fans will be able to benchmark it because you have a quality driver alongside him, um, full of ambition with everything yet to achieve. So I think that in, in, intra-team comp- competition is going to be quite tasty. Um, I don't, I don't think it'll have any particularly. Um, nasty edge. They, they, they seem to be reasonably friendly, um, and I think they will together. That competition will be the constructive sort that drives the whole thing forward, rather than the destructive type. Yeah, Esteban Ocon obviously made some positive comments about Alonso last week. Obviously, he probably knew this was coming because uh, we all kind of had a reasonable idea that it was happening. But I, I don't think. Again, Alonso, in terms of he he wants to be the the lead driver in a team, but generally his relationships with teammates haven't been as bad as as projected. Even with Lewis at McLaren, which was the most the most fractious moment of uh, of Alonso's career, ultimately, it wasn't like it was like we see with some driver pairings when it was kind of complete all out war. There were there were war moments, weren't there? Hungry, for example, but. Again, I, I think it's this misapprehension that he'll just instantly go in and and start kind of almost punching his teammate or something, which just just isn't really what happens. Yeah, he'll want to assert himself, and he'll be quite aggressive in trying to do that. But again, it doesn't mean it has to be counterproductive for a team like Renault. No, exactly. And I think um, you saw his relationship with Jensen Button at McLaren, who was very good, very healthy, um, and. Even before that, with it, with uh, Philippe Massa at Ferrari, I mean, it wasn't the buddy buddy sort of relationship, but it was completely professional, and it was, it was they, they they rubbed along just fine. So yeah, I I think that that part is overstated. I think even even the McLaren uh, first time around with with Hamilton, the the relationship breakdown was essentially between Alonso and Ron Dennis, not between Alonso and Hamilton. They 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 remained fine. And um, subsequent to him leaving McLaren, they even probably improved. So, yeah, I I really don't think that's going to be an issue. I think the fact that both Alonso and the Renault team are essentially fighting for their long-term, or for the survival in in Formula 1, really, long-term in the sense of, of, of Renault, in the case of Renault, I think there's going to be um, a feeling of they are very much in in this together, um, more so than when he say joined um, Honda, where they 
I think it was more that they felt they could enjoy some success together. It was misplaced as it turned out. But this, this is um, this is more of a fight for, a, you know, where you have to join forces with someone and and to make sure that you both come out of it. And I think this is, um, I think that that'll be the the vibe that marks this partnership third time around. It's one of those things, isn't it, that the capacity for it to go wrong is what everyone focuses on, isn't it? And yes, Renault, the past, say, 18 months for that team haven't really gone, perhaps as hoped. The season didn't start stunningly, but it didn't start terribly. And I think there's a fair bit more to come in that in that car. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a straightforward weekend for them. So there is the hope that Renault can can kind of kick on but obviously the thing people fear is that the Renault will underachieve a little bit and Alonso will be running around making his GP2 engine comments making his oh I drove a miracle lap and look how rubbish this this all is etc and that this could be counterproductive because we did see for example last time around with Renault there were a few when he went there as a uh, as a kind of stopgap if you like when he left McLaren waiting for something like Ferrari to come up so he had a couple of years at, at Renault and there were some times in those two years where he wasn't quite giving his best because he was a bit frustrated and and there were I remember a few people working there while they knew how, how, how good he was they weren't necessarily completely happy with with the way things had gone at all times so I think that's the thing that people fear will will happen but you also get the positive don't you the lift of they had a lift from Ricardo coming in they've got a double world champion coming in the, the guy who took Renault to the world championship twice last time round so so that's actually a positive galvanizing effect and i feel it's one of those things that if it if it starts sort of well by which i mean not winning races but with decent results it could kind of spiral upwards and, and be and just be one of those things one of those partnerships that really really does work so it feels like it could go either way to me it could go superbly or it could go terribly or anywhere in between which is a great story for formula 1 second time around at renault he was really just marking time he knew he was going to ferrari um but he had to stay in the game um until that seat became available and when the car was halfway there and had a chance he he was the fabulous alonso that we'd seen first time around um but yeah there were days where he was just didn't seem that interested in a in a car if it wasn't a contender but i don't think we're going to see that this time he can't afford to do that this time and I don't think his motivation is going to... He's not going into it with with the same mindset as he did then, which was really just um, just marking time until I get the the, the proper drive. Um, I, this, this, this is the proper drive, and this is the thing he's got to make work. Yeah, we should remember that with McLaren, he was driving at a high level. He he had a few little moments, but, you know, Baku, his drive there was fantastic in the, in the hobbled car. And through, you know, there were consistently he was he was excelling and showing that he could do that in the midfield if he if he kind of felt he needed to make that uh, that sort of point and I, and I think I think this thing I mean obviously you mentioned that the, what you didn't think a world championship is very likely I'd agree it isn't that likely but it is the thing that that drives Alonso and he probably knows it's not that likely but it's that kind of chance isn't it to, to kind of go for it. I think that third one is important to him because it would put him up there with you know Senna and it would sort of make a point wouldn't it because he could have as he always points out a few points here and there in key seasons and he'd have another another few world championships could have won 07 could have won 10 could have won 12 
so there is that element of unfinished business as well to his career which is which is why at, at this age he's almost he's turns 39 later this month that's why he's not willing just to say actually I don't need to go back that's why he's still got that drive and that determination because he still feels there's success to be had that not that he's owed but that he's capable of getting and of course he is because he's an astonishing driver yeah you get the sense for one who is at such a high level and has achieved what he's achieved, even if it falls short of what he could have achieved. And I think the stat that you were referring to there is eight more points spread in the right seasons would have made him a five-time world champion rather than a two-time. So just a t- total of eight more points in the crucial seasons. Um, but it, it always struck me, like interviewing him and the, the comments he's made in public, that his legacy is very important to him, how people consider him and he if he feels he's not being rated as highly as um, he feels as justified it it bothers him (laughs) which is unusual for someone at at, at that level but it really does seem to bother him and he does seem to like to prove the doubt is wrong and I think that's very much um, one of the factors that's driven him back into Formula One Uh, even if it's not in the the higher level um, a team as he as he might have hoped um, when when he took that sabbatical, yeah, and he, and he does refer to that legacy as you said. I remember when he went to do Indy in in twenty seventeen, he said that well, if you want to be the greatest in Formula One, you've got to match or eclipse Michael Schumacher's number of world championships. Well, I'm not going to get seven world titles, so instead I've got to succeed everywhere, if you like, which is why he targeted the Triple Crown. And you know, for all the, the fact that he hasn't won Indy, I was at Indy in twenty seventeen, he was in contention to win. If the engine hadn't gone pop, you know, you can't say he would have won it. He would have had a shot and he was being really impressive with what he was doing. So, yeah, he he, he is aware of that. I think it, I mean, I, I've expressed my reservations about Alonso and Renault before and I, I sort of stand by those elements of it, but I've always kind of wanted it to happen and him to come back. But we're privileged enough to stand trackside up close and watch these guys in action. What Alonso can do with a car is very, very rare. It's that combination of just incredible, he's incredibly quick, yeah. But the way he does it, it requires this combination of of aggression, of of car control, of being proactive, reactive. It's, a, it's an amazing blend that he puts together to get that lap time. And I don't think there's very many people, I don't think there's been many racing drivers in history who could do what he does the way he does it that consistently because he's relying so much on just that outrageous feel and reaction. Yeah, he has a wonderful improvisational way with a car um, and he can adapt to whatever it's it's doing and you, you, see, you see it in action. You see him varying his approach from corner to corner and um, even, even you know, as the track grip comes up, you'll see him, if you stand in track side, you'll see him begin to do something in a different way as the, 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 the traits of the tyre evolve or whatever. Um, and yeah, he's, he's always looking for an edge is uh, always looking he's not locked into a particular way of doing something he can always improvise um, whatever's best for that car in that moment and he's he's quite extraordinary at that and it doesn't you know you hear a lot of um, a lot of drivers Kimi was one of them uh, Jensen Button was another one where they say, well, I just the car, I can't drive it to my best ability because it's not doing the right things or these tyres don't suit my driving style. Or, you never hear that from Alonso because that doesn't, it's not even a factor. He's, he's, he'll, he will just adapt 
and it's 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 got a massively broad bandwidth um, of cart rates, and it really doesn't seem to matter where where the car sits on on that bandwidth. No, absolutely. You could see that up against Van Dorn at McLaren. Sort of Van Dorn's a a very capable driver, and I would like to see him have another crack at Formula One because um, I think there's a, there's kind of a, a missed talent there, but. Van Dorn was constrained by the limitations of the McLaren, whereas Alonso was able to to kind of provoke it, to live with it, to improvise his way round the limitations and get what he could out of it, which you could see trackside very clearly. It was just remarkable. That's what I'm pleased to see. And I think even there will be people listening to this who who hate Alonso, and that, that's fine. You don't have to be a fan of him, but I'd just say just watch him and just to, just enjoy what he does because we we will not. We'll not see his like again. Is I guess the cliche, isn't it? Because he is one of one of those once in a generation at best drivers, and I, I think we're very fortunate that we'll get another couple of years of him in in Formula One. That that's that's good for Formula One, good for Renault, good for Alonso, good for us. Even if it doesn't work out with the results, it's still a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, he's one of the special ones, and he's still got a lot of performance in him. And when you hear criticism. Of uh, oh he's he's had his shot why doesn't he move over for youth, well that's down to the youth the, the youth has got to be at a level where they're clearly um g- going to deliver his level of performance and there isn't if you look at who Renault has available who is available on the market for Renault to choose from there isn't there there's no one that you would say could come in and deliver an Alonso level of performance even an Alonso level now after two years away. There just isn't anyone there at that level. Well, having heard from Mark Hughes, I've got a bonus because here's Scott Mitchell, who's fresh from a press conference with Cyril Abitable and Fernando Alonso himself. So Fernando Alonso will obviously have laid out why he's chosen this path. So what is he saying? Yeah, so Fernando is basically talking quite uh, quite patiently. He says he's relaxed um, he knows what 2021 has in store for him, which is a return to the F1 midfield he walked away from in 2018 with, with zero interest in in, in continuing, uh, because it's all eyes on 2022. So that was the message from Fernando and, and Cyril as well. They've got a clear target in mind. So Fernando has apparently bought into to what Renault has to offer. He at least is willing to give it a go and thinks that they have what it takes to learn over the next 18 months and put it all into practice for for 2022. So he sees 21 as like a uh almost like a bonus season, a season of preparation. So I think it's fair to say that a lot of us are looking at it like he's a man who, you know, time is not on Alonso's side. He needs to get to the front of, of F1 as soon as possible. Whereas Fernando sort of looking at it and saying, well, I can't get to the front of F1 in 2021. Uh, I need to look at what my best option is to get there as quickly as possible. And in his eyes, that that's Renault. He likes what he sees behind the scenes. And he's uh, he seems, he, he does look, he did come across quite, um, quite content in his decision, shall I say. So how's it going to work now? How's he going to prepare for it? What's the schedule between now and pre-season testing next year? He's going racing. Um, but not in F1. He's got to do the Indianapolis 500, which obviously, as we know, is the best possible way for someone to prepare for the F1 comeback. If he qualifies. 
if he qualifies, of course. He will try to contest the Indy 500. It didn't go so well for him in 2019. But so basically, all joking aside, Indy 500 is Fernando's first priority. That is his programme. Obviously, the rescheduled race happened in, in August. So Fernando's thrown himself into that. He It's not like he can just pop over to Enstone and jump in the F1 simulator anyway because of the, the quarantine laws that exist uh, in, in, in the UK. So it would be very difficult to manage that. So basically... Indy 500 prep for now and then Fernando reckons that from September he will be able to focus properly on on Formula 1 and from what Cyril Abitable is saying that doesn't mean getting on track in FP1s there, there was this sort of a very sensible theory rooted in logic that that, F, that that Renault can just kick out Daniel Ricciardo for a few FP1s before the end of the year and then um, get get Alonso sort of in the feel of this this car because this car will be the basis of the twenty one car. That's not on Renault's agenda. Uh, a bitable went was went as far as saying he doesn't see how that would be any benefit. Although he did then throw to Fernando to say you can correct me if I'm wrong, and Fernando had a little bit of a smile. So maybe they will have a slight slight conversation about that because Fernando is a stickler for preparedness. Well, I think also because we are seeing some FP one drivers dropping in for the Red Bull ring this weekend for the second race and there's a good chance we'll see a back-to-back later in the season isn't it we might see one in Bahrain for example there's that option so if there's a second one that that seems a golden opportunity but that's not on the calendar yet no no it would seem foolish I think to not put Fernando in if contractually they are able to I don't I don't imagine I, I can't see why Ricardo would have a contract that stipulates he has to be do every single session because they, I can't see that I've being a threat when they put that contract together, but but maybe there maybe there is. But Cyril sort of seems to think, oh, that's not really a priority. It sounds like they haven't really discussed it properly. But I'm sure that's the sort of thing that Alonso would want to do because what while a bitable might not see that as a benefit, Alonso's the kind of guy who just doesn't leave any stone unturned. So if he thinks, okay, here's an opportunity for me to to not just see firsthand by going to a Grand Prix what this team is like, but to actually be there in the middle of it and actually experience it and, and make some recommendations, fast track that process for the start of 2021. But if that if that isn't possible, if for whatever reason they, they don't want to or they can't put Fernando in the car for, for an FP1 session driving the 2020 Renault, there is still the option of driving the 2018 car and a bit of didn't rule that out. He said that there's nothing firmly planned yet, but it is an option. They proved with their... They proved with their test before the the Red Bull Ring opener that they're willing. They have the budget to to put a 2018 car on track, make the use of the rules that allow testing with two year old machinery if they think there's a benefit. And what could possibly be a, be a bigger benefit than making sure Fernando Alonso's up and running, fit and ready for 21? It would seem prudent to take that option. Uh, did he talk about the fact that he's uh, he's an old man in in Grand Prix racing terms? He'll turn 40 next year. He did actually. Let me find the uh, the the exact quote because it was it was very amusing. Basically, it's classic Alonso. He, Fernando is basically straight back into that, you know, talking himself up, talking the team up. He seems to be saying the right things, but he couldn't help. Uh, uh, he couldn't he couldn't help but have a little bit of fun. So basically, as far as he's concerned, he's fitter than ever. He's better than ever. He says he's hundred percent ready to come back. He said he's just done a fitness test and he's had the best results he's ever had in his career and how I've missed a, a Fernando this is the best I've ever best thing I've ever done haven't you this is the best press conference I've ever done I presume he said that <laughs> what he did say he was asked directly you know the prospect of going up against much younger drivers what do you think and he said 
uh, for many years the 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 stopwatch is the only thing that matters he said it's not the age he says he's never had the classification of the race based on the passport date of birth it's always based on time which you know i can't i can't fault his immediate logic yeah, there's, there's going to come a point where uh, where that's going to become a factor. But yeah, as, as I was discussing with Mark Hughes, we, we don't think that's going to be a problem and he doesn't think it's going to be a problem. Uh, obviously, how, how was the, the the Fernando Alonso Cyril Abitable double act working? Oh, that's a good question because you do have... That is a good question because in, in the two of them, you have Fernando who is like the master... What's the word? He's like the master manipulator of the media isn't he he knows he loves to play the media that's part of the game and he can all he can say all he likes that that's not the stuff that he liked about formula one but he was very good at it he, he knew how to use it to his advantage he was a master of of answering a question so you knew what he thought without actually saying it which is brilliant if you want to avoid trouble with the team and cyril cyril's not the opposite of that but cyril basically you can see him constantly he's desperately trying not to say what he thinks but then he goes ahead and, and, and says it. And that, that I, I think, can cause tension within the team. I think we saw it on the, the Netflix show uh, the, on Drive to Survive last year with uh, or covering the 2019 season. These little comments that sort of, I think he's trying to make them as a joke, but you can see like he riled Nico Hulkenberg up with a, a comment about Nico not scoring a podium yet in, in Formula One and that sort of thing. And it just goes down slightly worse, I think. He's just, maybe just a bad communicator. So you've got, Alonso, master communicator, and, and Cyril, who can do what I'm basically doing now, which is sort of lose track of what you're saying and get a bit rambly and then sort of accidentally say something you're not supposed to and maybe cause a bit of controversy. There wasn't any indication of like oh, Fernando going, oh God, this guy, rolling his eyes or anything like that, not at all. Um, I would definitely not go so far as to try and read into their relationship from what I saw on the on the video call. It, it lasted maybe uh, 20, 25 minutes or so, maybe a bit longer. Um and I, so difficult to make a firm conclusion there, but you could tell that Cyril was massively, massively keen and like he's, he's very pleased to have got Alonso on board. And I think if Alonso's words about being relaxed are true, and he certainly did look relaxed there, I think he's probably in a place now in his life, especially after some time away, where I think this version of Alonso can fit this environment at Renault much better than the Alonso of a few years ago could. Yeah, and also he, you know, he knows this is this is the last shot this uh, this this period of his F one career. So uh, he needs to make it work. Uh, there was also a bit of talk, I believe, about the the whole Renault Driver Academy and the fact they've gone for experience over youth. We had quite a lot of people complaining on social media about them not going for a Guan Yu Zhou, a Christian Lundgaard. So what was their rationale for for going down this route? It, it basically comes down to circumstances. So. Renault's initial intention with the with the academy was to have a driver in contention to drive for the team in 2021. I don't I Cyril Cyril said that was the plan. He didn't go so far as to say that they wanted to have one of the guys in their car in 21 because ultimately if things have gone to plan they'd have had Ricardo and Ocon. So why would you bust one of those out to have Guan Yu Zhou or Christian Lungard in for example? But he did say Cyril that he he addressed that he basically second guessed the criticism that he's getting already for this and he just said that he knows it can be seen as a lack of interest or loyalty of the project but it isn't he wants to be really clear that it isn't it's basically 
it's basically a case of a driver like Fernando's available, coupled with the fact that the 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 most senior people that they have on the academy program, Guan Yu Zhou and Christian Lungard, as I mentioned, their Formula Two season hasn't hadn't started until last weekend because of the because of the crisis and and the the impact that's had on various motorsport schedules. So they haven't been able to sort of start the season and show, yeah, look, we've made a step. Like we are ready, or we look like we are ready, to at least put themselves in, in the conversation. So when you don't have drivers that have proven emphatically on track they're ready for F1, when you need to have drivers that have definitely got the, the, the super license and they, they can get some mileage in the F1 car and you know that there's not going to be a season or two of training them up, it's, to, it's a bit too much of a risk. And maybe if we got towards the end of 2020 and, and, and Joe was winning Formula 2, for example, or was second in Formula 2 but had put together a really good season and was just unlucky, maybe he'd have been a bit more in the frame. Certainly if there'd been a Charles Leclerc type, someone like that would definitely be more in, in, in the frame. And Abitable basically says they are very, very serious about this, about these two in particular, so Joe and Lungard, and the plan is basically to see what they can do to facilitate their path into F1. So if Joe and Lungard have a stonkingly good 2020 season i don't really see what renault is going to be able to do but it sounds like they are very very keen to try and have at least an interim step so to try and facilitate some kind of f1 action for them next year if they prove they deserve it yeah and of course we should say they've got oscar piastri coming up on the on the rails as well the formula runner euro cup champion who won on his f3 debut so they've got another decent driver there uh, but overall What's your impression of this? I mean, myself and Mark had the chance to talk about how enthusiastic we are about Alonso being right, even if the circumstances aren't necessarily absolutely perfect for for both sides. For, from what you've seen, are you, are you looking forward to it? Do you think this is... I mean, all, all these partnerships start off brilliantly, don't they? Nobody in their first press conference is going to start showing the cracks. The cracks haven't had, had a chance to start to form, let alone appear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at the moment, it's all in, interesting. I, I am curious to see how it plays out. I'm looking forward to seeing how a guy like Alonso approaches the prospect of a comeback, because as I said earlier, he's such a stickler for detail. So that will be fascinating to follow. And then if he does get on track this year, I'd love it if we could see him in an FP1 just to see how he compares. That would be really, really interesting. And then when it comes to actually 2021, I mean, it's a bit of a it's going to be a bit of a, a bit underwhelming, I think, next year because either Alonso is going to be, you know, slightly off it at the beginning and needing some time, or he's going to be mired in the midfield anyway. So it's just going to be a little bit of a false dawn, I think, in 2021, and that's what I'm really curious in. I think that will be as big a bigger determining factor in the success of this decision because if Renault's really bad in 21, or or there's something going on behind the scenes that suggests actually this was a bit of a mistake. I can see tensions starting to rise quite early in this partnership because this is Alonso's last chance. So let, let's see how 21 goes because there'll be an indicator of what's going on behind the scenes and we'll get some noises, won't we, about how their development's going for 2022. This all rides on on two things. It's it's Alonso being back and as good as, as we know he can be and it's on uh, Renault to, to do a better job than they've done in the last few years. We'll get an indicator long before they actually put the 2022 car on track. So I'm really looking forward to following that process, which starts today and runs all the way through to that probably the first pre-season test 
of 2022 and seeing how that relationship develops, if it's good or, as you say, if the cracks start to appear. Well, it's certainly a huge story. It's taken over F1 News this week and it's all anybody's reading about or talking about or watching videos about. And as such, there's loads on therace.com. I don't forget the hyphen looking into all sorts of different dimensions of this Alonso Runo move. There's a video on our, our YouTube channel, so if you look for the race there. And then, of course, this podcast too, which you have listened to. And, of course, we'll all be flat out covering the Styrian Grand Prix this weekend. Mark Hughes on the scene and myself and Scott Mitchell again in a world of Zoom and WhatsApp messages to uh, keep track of what's going on. Thanks for listening and join us for our post-race review sometime in the small hours of Monday morning. <laughs>